Good morning. Good to see everyone. We, uh, gosh, it's been two weeks since we've been here, and I'm so grateful for a chance to be away, and of course, grateful for a chance to be back. I had, when we were at Ridgecrest, I heard one lady that worked in the bookstore talk about they were working on pastor appreciation. So I had to go over to her and brag on you guys. I said, you wouldn't believe I'm here because of the love of my church family. They sent my wife and I here. I said, you know, we're just really blessed to have a loving church family. And then I called uh, another, uh, which I, I consider him a mentor of mine. He this, He's about 80. His name's Bob. He's a retired pastor. And I call him every once in a while. And he's like my cheerleading squad. He, you know, he's like, oh, you're doing so good and all that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, Bob. But I guess that's his job. You know, he tries to pump you up. And I had called and I told him, I said, man, we just feel so loved. And I told him about the different things. And he said, wow. He said, I'll, I'll tell some of the, uh, some of the ministers around here and they'll all be jealous. And I said, well, that's not why I was saying that. But, but, uh, I am grateful for the love shown to us. And I said, the amazing thing is, Bob, we've been here long enough where they know what we're like and they still did it. Showered us with love. And so, just grateful for you guys. I really am. We are blessed to be at Kingsway and, uh, we long to see the Lord move among us. I, last night I went to the hospital. Tom Rogers is there. And, and so remember Tom in prayer. I'll be there a couple of days. He asked me to let you guys know so we can continue to lift him before the Lord. I thought as far as the sermon goes, I said, you know, this ought to be the preacher's best day of the year. You guys have gotten an extra hour of sleep. So I should have the best chance not to see too much snoring going on out there. So grateful for that. We're still talking about revival. We live in a time, guys, in a land that's a great land. I love America. I love the fact that God has allowed me to live in a land that's so precious. But guys, it is, it is no mystery that we need the Lord back in the forefront of our lives. That we are headed away from Him in many ways. And it's it's painful. And it's not too late though. God can still do a, a mighty, mighty work of His presence and His power among His people. You see, I'm I'm convinced that it's not what's happening outside the church that God most wants to get a hold of to turn America around. It's what's happening inside the church. It's what's happening inside the hearts of His people. Because once He really gets a hold of us, it's infectious. When the love of Christ really moves outside the walls of a building, there's nothing like it. Lives are touched and they're changed. God works. And, and so that's what we need. And anyway, I got to thinking today. I want to preach a message called "Holy Ghost Revival." And uh, Holy Spirit, I always, uh, always like that Holy Ghost though. In the King James, you know, that sounds good. Preach the Holy Ghost, you know. But in Acts chapter one and chapter two, we find where the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, shows up, <laughs> and things change. 
And there is this incredible work of God that happens. And, and, and I just want to, I want to go through that. I'm going to use five words to go through that in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 as we look at a Holy Ghost revival that occurs and how I believe still God wants to do that kind of work among His people. He still wants to show up in a very powerful way. So turn with me in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at Acts 1 and 2. But as a reading, I just want to read verses 1 through 8. So stand in God's honor when you find that. So I want to read. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He showed Himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. We're a weak bunch. We're a frail people. But we're here because we know one who's not weak. One who's not frail. And one who's on the throne. And one to which we can find life. And I just pray, Lord, as we look back on this wonderful account of you moving among your people, Lord. Do it again, God. We need you to move among us. Not just at Kingsway Baptist Church. But in the other churches in this area. Across the Tri-Cities. Across the state. Across our nation. That, God, there might be just a... An obvious manifestation of your Holy Spirit, God. That there might be just a great move of us, Lord, looking to you as you move in our lives, God. And just, Lord, speak to us today, God, as your weak servant tries to let you speak. And Lord, may you have your way. Do far more than I could possibly ever do, God, through this message. In your name we pray. Amen. First word, guys, as I thought about this Holy Ghost revival, is desperation. Now, I want you to think about what those early followers of Jesus faced. They were with Jesus, guys. They saw Jesus do miracles. They saw Him heal people. They saw a love that it had to be God Himself in Jesus. They saw how He just loved people and received them. He taught with an authority that was far greater than any person. God worked through Jesus and yet as they watched Him, they watched Him suffer. They watched Him wrongly accused on a trial. They watched Him as He was beaten where He couldn't even be recognized. 
I mean, it's just a horrible, horrible suffering Jesus faced. And they watched Him as He hung from the cross. And as He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Guys, this was, it had to be just an unbelievable time of suffering and despair. Desperate times for the followers of Jesus. There was a time of, God, what are you up to? What are you doing, God? I don't understand. And I believe that when God, guys, when He's getting ready to do something great many times, it starts at a point of desperation. We look and we say, man, things are bad, God. God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to occur, God? And I'll just be honest with you guys, as I've looked out across our church family, I see many of you who are hurting for different reasons. There's just a lot going on in the life of our church. It's not that we are fighting amongst ourselves. It's just that God has is, is just allowed some times of suffering to come amongst His people. And it's painful. And I thought about in John 15, where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And He said, you know, if you remain in Me, ask what you wish and it will be given to you. And He talks about in John 15, 2 and 3 that He does this work of pruning where there's certain vines he's, he's, he, or, or certain branches He's got to cut off so that more fruit can grow and so that He can do His work. And at that time, the people of God, they didn't understand that it was a pruning type of work to prepare them for a demonstration of His power and for His blessing to come upon them. And guys, that's where they were. <laughs> and, and, and then it was not but just a couple of days later where Jesus rose from the grave and all this suffering. You know, we think a lot of times when we're hurt, we think, man, if I could just go to a, a retreat and be alone with God and just have a wonderful time with God and hear from God and, and, and just be blessed... You know, at, at one of these retreats set aside for God. And they got a retreat, man. They got, I think, the best retreat in the history. <laughs> Matter of fact, look at, we kind of read about it in chapter 1 here. Notice here, uh, it says in verse 3, after his suffering, this is after the cross, this was after he's risen from the grave. It says, he showed himself to these men. Can you imagine, guys? We know about how he appeared to the disciples, how he appeared to Thomas. But it talks about here that he also came before them. I mean, this was some kind of retreat. The one who had died, he was risen. He was resurrected. He was alive. And he wasn't at a distance. They were with him. They saw him with their eyes. <laughs> they, were, they were in his presence. And they heard him teach. Man, what an incredible retreat. It says here, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, boy, that could be a sermon in itself. You know, I, I don't know. You know, use your imagination. You know, what kind of proofs did Jesus give? But man, can you imagine the excitement that must have been in that place as Jesus gave them these proofs? And it says that he was with them for 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Man, how awesome that must have been. I can imagine some awesome singing as well as listening to Jesus speak and hearts being moved and, and touched. And it says in verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. What's the gift? 
He says the gift was the Holy Spirit. He says, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, verse 6, they met together and they asked him, Well, Lord, are you going to come and you're going to set up this kingdom and you're going to take away our troubles and make things right? And he says to them, Guys, uh, it's not for you to know the exact times, dates, the Father set. But he says, But you're going to receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And then in verse 9 it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Guys, he went up. He went up to glory. And it says, while they were looking, he says that some men, two men dressed in white came and they proclaimed that this was Jesus taken back from you into heaven, and that He's coming back. Now they had this great retreat. They had this great time of incredible worship. But then they had to go home. Now that's a problem a lot of times with the retreat, isn't it? You have to go home. So what did they do? They headed back home. Suddenly, Jesus, who was right there with them, was not. Suddenly, all the the times of joy and and the times of just excitement and emotion were going back home. So what do they do? They go together, as we read about here in Acts chapter 1. They come together to pray. They come together to share their hearts together. And we read about here in the Scripture that they were huddled together (laughs) to pray in this room that there was about 120 of them that came together. And that they were praying and they were waiting just like Jesus told them to do. They had a business meeting. They picked someone to replace Judas to be one of the twelve. And they waited. Then we come to chapter 2. You see, it had been a time of desperation. Guys, they needed... They needed God to show up. I mean, it was one thing to be at the, the retreat, but now they're back in life. Now they're huddled together in their holy huddle. And they got people out there who don't like them. The authorities are not for them. They're not on their side. They're trying to squash them out. And so what do they do? The only smart thing, it says that they came together constantly in prayer in our text. And then we come to chapter 2 and we move away from desperation. And we move to, second word, illumination. Holy Spirit's about to come. Now I want you to say a word here. I thought about the Holy Spirit. I think too often, too much of what we do, guys, me, not just you, me too, is not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just try to make things happen. But the power of the Holy Spirit is not there. His Spirit is not working. And I guess a good question to ask ourselves that if the Holy Spirit was to leave this place and leave us as a people, how much would change? 
How much that we do around here would go on just like it's going on right now. I mean, you can have worship with energy and excitement and you can amen the preaching and, and you can sing and, and just be all pumped up with emotion. You can go to these wonderfully planned committee meetings and, and to get things done and you can meet and eat and you can give your money to valuable, worthwhile projects. But think about it. You can even do that without the Holy Spirit. What we want among us, what I want in my life is I want to know that God's working through me and it's not just me. Because what I do is not going to last, but if He's able to work through me, guys, it'll last. How much of what we do runs on the little engine of self-accomplishments which says, I can, I can, I can. How much declares, Lord, you must. Listen to this quote of the Holy Spirit. It said, God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more in novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. And I want you to look here. As we come to Acts 2, He's anointed His apostles. He's anointed His disciples. And, and as we come here in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they're together in one place. The 120, uh, of course the 12, they're together. There's this suddenly, verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind comes from heaven, fills where they're sitting. And they see these tongues separated, comes a wrist on each of them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what an amazing time of illumination it says in verse 5 that there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And this crowd came to gather around those believers, those 120 believers that were gathered together. And each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men who were speaking Galileans. You see, they were from all these different countries, but they were God-fearing. They believed in God, but they didn't know the full truth about Jesus and about the cross and about how He came to set us free and how He was the Messiah and He was the promised one. And although they spoke in different languages, God's people started speaking and they spoke in different tongues, but it was just amazing that He not only blessed their tongues, but He blessed the ears of those who were listening so that they could hear in their own language the message of Christ. There was illumination. And we need that, guys. If we're going to have a Holy Ghost movement, then the Holy Spirit's got to open these old closed ears of mine and yours. He's got to open these old closed hearts that we have. He's got to make us tender and receptive to His voice and what He wants to say and what He wants to do. There has to be an illumination that, that is at work, guys. And that's what happened. And then there's a transformation. Uh, he goes through here. He speak. Peter's speaking, guys. And then he, he's just telling the story. As you go down through here in verse 14, it says, He stood up with eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. He just starts telling them. 
that God had prophesied this time, this event, that He was going to pour out His Spirit on all people in the last days. And there was going to be this great movement. And he says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then starting at verse 22, I just want to read. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. He goes on to talk about Jesus, the one who's resurrected. Jesus, the one who's raised to life and that they're witnesses of that fact. Jesus, the one in verse 33 who's exalted to the right hand of God, who promised the Holy Spirit and has poured out His Spirit. Then he goes down to verse 36. He says, Therefore let all Israel be sure to this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, They were illuminated, and they came to a point where it just hit, man. It made sense. They understood. Hey, wait a minute. He came, and we rejected Him. He came, and we said, He needs to die on the cross. He's the guilty one. But the whole time, guys, we're the guilty ones. See, the illumination, the hearts were touched, and there occurred a transformation. Verse 37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, What shall we do? do. They saw their plight. They saw their predicament, guys. They saw that they were sinners, that they were separated from God, and that they needed a Savior. They needed to be forgiven. Their hearts were open to that truth, and they were cutting. Guys, they were broken over that simple truth. So they said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Man, he speaks out to him and he says, guys, you get it, you're broken, and I'm not going to leave you broken, I'm going to tell you who will fix it. Turn your lives, repent, turn your lives to Jesus. And by being baptized, he means identify yourself with Jesus and his people, that you're turning away from an old way of life, turning toward God. And you're going his direction from now on. He says, guys, this is to a people who are once far off, but God's come near to you. And he wants to transform your lives. He wants to change you, guys. That's what he wants to do. And that's the message that went forth. And man, did it go forth. (laughs) Matter of fact, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man. Talk about some transformation. Then, even though it doesn't mention it, I believe there was celebration. Let me tell you something. When God starts getting a hold of people, 
and starts changing lives? How can you not get excited? When you start seeing these waters being parted and people being baptized, and you see people start crying because they're convicted of their sins and they want to be forgiven, when you see people who say, God, I need you in my life, man, if you can't get excited about that, you must be dead. I think there was a time of, of, of celebration that was just going through, rippling throughout all those people as, as lives were being changed. And it made me think about Luke 15. You know the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. And, and you know, the older brother's like, why are you throwing this big party and celebration, Dad? In verse 31 of Luke 15, he said, My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Man, that's what that's what the celebration's about, man. You're lost, but now you're found. And then in verse 10, it says, In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Father celebrates. The angels join in the party. And He says, I want you to party too when lives are changed. And I think that was current. That was a part of the Holy Ghost revival was this type of, of celebration. And then the last point, guys, and I'm done. He moves from desperation. There's illumination. There's transformation. I believe there's celebration. And here's the cool part, too, in regard to that anticipation. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I, that's, I really want, I, you, know, I, you know, like a friend of mine you say, I used to pray with, he says, Lord, bear with me. I want, be, I want to pray selfish for a little while. He'd say that and crack me up. We'd be a little selfish. Man, I'd love to see God fill this place. And fill me and fill you. I'd love to just see people not only come down the aisle, but across the aisle and hug Nick's and worship God and invite people back to want to get in on all the fun and the love and the excitement. And see, that's what was happening among these people. There was an anticipation, guys. People were cut to the heart. They were turning to God. They were excited. And then there became this anticipation. And as we read here in Acts chapter 2, it says that they came together, men, with this anticipation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know more about Jesus. They wanted to know more about what it meant to love Him and to follow Him and to live for Him and to fellowship. They wanted to be together. Man, they 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 wanted they just loved being together. And to the breaking of bread and the prayer, they wanted to remember Jesus. They wanted to have that Lord's Supper. They wanted to have that time remembering His death and how much he, that Jesus loves them. And and to prayer. And it says that as they were doing this, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. In other words, there was this anticipation: What's God going to do next? <laughs> What's going to happen now? God, what are you up to? And I'm telling you, man, it was it was exciting days. And then it says they had a love for each other that everyone who had in need, they sold their stuff and they met that need. And it says that God was working. Look at verse 46 and 47, the end of it. Every day they committed to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who are being saved. Man. Now, you know, we look at this and we say, well, that happened, you know, and that was just a one-time thing. Why? Why does that have to be a one-time thing? Has the Holy Spirit changed? Wouldn't it be awesome to see a move of the Holy Ghost, a Holy Ghost revival, that He who is in us just leaks out all over the place and does something mighty that fills the aisles this way as well as this way and fills us where we leak outside of this building back home where we live, in our neighborhoods, and at our workplaces, and where we are. Now, I'm at the end. Maybe God spoke to you. Cindy and I talk about it all the time. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll have people come to me and say, do you remember when you said this? And I'll say, no. Sometimes it's, I didn't even mean to say that. Did I say that? But you know what? I don't, what's it matter if I said it? God said something. And guys, that's what I want. In this time, we call response or invitation. If God has said something, maybe you need to come and pray here. Maybe you need to come and pray with me and say something to the body of Christ. Maybe you're at a point where God's, man, He's just working on you and and, and He just wants you to stand up for Him and and share with people. I don't know what He's doing. Maybe this is a church family He wants you to be a part of and and you're not officially. But... Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you had not followed through with that. You say, you know, I trusted Jesus, but I want to be identified with Him. I want to stand up for Him. And so I want to be baptized. And, and I know there's some here that haven't yet been baptized that need to be. And, and if that's the case, you know, maybe you need to come for that. I, man, I just want you to hear God's voice and do what He says. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come to the front, and uh, we're going to sing a song together and, and just do what He wants. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for being here, God. Lord, speak. Keep speaking. And Lord, may we listen and keep listening. And Lord, I just pray that we just obey whatever that is, God. And as we have a time to do that, um, Father, make it happen. We love you, Lord, and we need you. May we just say yes to whatever it is you want. In your name we pray. Amen.